0: Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. 2020 has been a year of huge change, none more so than COVID-19 and all the disruption it's caused to our daily lives. On the crops front, at the start of 2020, growers had to deal with less winter crops in the ground and early challenges of getting more spring crops planted than normal. Then all sorts of weather issues followed in 2020, of which we'll get into in a moment. As a consequence of very challenging national targets for greenhouse gas emissions and questions around sustainability credentials of Irish foods, one of the subtle changes which has occurred in 2020 is the recognition of tillage as a critical part of the Irish agricultural system. A clear example of this is a recently published ag climatized document which sets the general direction of travel for Irish agriculture with an eye to 2050. Amongst the actions identified in this document is to increase the proportion of Irish grains going into livestock rations and also increasing the level of Irish grown protein crops with the aim to support this sustainability credentials of Irish ag food. This document will inform the likes of Foodwise 2020 and also the new CAP, which Ireland has more control over this time round and we're likely to see in 2023. All of these factors are very positive for the tillage farmers and the tillage industry in general. And all we need now is some stable weather to drive yields and increase profitability for the sector. But now I want to come to talk to tillage specialists Shea Phelan and Kieran Collins and have a look back at 2020. Kieran and Shay, you're very welcome to the podcast. So, Kieran, for you, what do you see as the highs and lows for the tillage sector for 2020? Oh, I suppose, Michael,
1: we'll start with the highs. It was a very good growing season once crops got into the ground. Um, you know, I suppose one of the lows, obviously, was the wet autumn and the difficulty that people had there. And it there was a high workload for the spring, but the spring actually came very well. And we, in the south, we had a very good growing season really. And I suppose we did have crops with excellent yield potential. You know, some of the early sown and early harvested spring barley was was touching four ton in, in, in some cases. But I suppose really, you know, from the southern side, uh, the big low for the year was that those good yields weren't realised. You know, we had those two storms there in August and that really, really hit yields for, for farmers.
0: Okay, fair enough. And uh, Shay, from from your point of view, talking about I suppose the Midlands and maybe a little bit further towards the northeast, what was your highs and lows? You kind of see country in the year.
2: Yeah, well, I suppose Michael. Yeah, uh, if we take the Midlands and North of the country, uh, probably the high for me would have been the performance of winter oilseed rape crops. Uh, they seem to tolerate the the drought that we experienced in in a lot of cases uh, better than most other crops. Um, and that's kind of reflected in the in the outputs this year. The, the average yield for for all stripe held up relatively well in comparison to other years. Um, so it, it actually probably was the best performer for most guys. The probably the low, uh, obviously the drought had a big effect um, across most of the Midlands and Northeast. But probably the biggest problem or biggest issue that guys faced was the amount of secondary growth in crops, especially spring crops coming up to harvest, especially spring barley and spring oats uh created an awful lot of uh, harvesting difficulties you know deciding wh- when the grain was ripe how to handle that straw um, and just created an awful lot of difficulties in what turned out to be a very broken harvest
0: a few people should mentioned the secondary growth and um i suppose what they, they were mentioning to me at least anyways is that they some were convinced it probably added a little bit to yield um, for all the difficulties there, there was with the green grains and green straw thereafter
2: no I doubt it did but um you know, when you, when you had that difficult harvest, the, set, the harvest was broken up into two periods. And some guys got cutting in the first half of August, and then there was a break for maybe 10 days or a little bit more. And it was that second half of the harvest that really created problems, because some of the moistures that guys were harvesting at were well into the 20s. And no doubt, those secondary growths, while they contributed to yield, they also contributed to that high moisture content in grain in the second part of the harvest.
0: Okay, and Shay, just to follow up, I suppose that obviously the drought was 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 in part um, responsible for that. And were there any farmers, or th- there probably was reports of farmers who probably got on slightly better, even in those drought
2: restricted areas? And uh, do we know why that was? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons, Michael. I mean, um, around the Midlands here, I was talking to quite a few guys r- around out harvest time, and there were a couple of issues that seemed to affect. Um, the crops this year more so than than other years obviously the drought kicked in and it was the, the, the land's resilience to deal with that drought um, and in the Midlands I suppose there were there were farms where you would have relatively good rotations and you'd have maybe use of organic manures and that seemed to buffer it a little bit And but it only delayed it in a lot of cases I mean a lot of the fields around the uh, South Kildare Carlo area they have kind of really sandy soils uh, and they tended to burn up quite quickly. Um, but where we use organic manures, it did seem to slow it down and where there was good taste, seemed to slow it down a little bit, but they did eventually suffer the same fate as those sandy areas. If you take the northeast end where you have heavier soils, um, some of that land dried out very, very quickly coming to drilling. And what hap- tends to happen in that scenario is those seed beds get very lumpy and it's very difficult to consolidate those seed beds. So you have a very open airy seed bed and they dried out very very quickly and the problem they have up there is they don't have a whole lot of rotations in a lot of cases and they don't have much access to organic manures and certainly the guys that did have both good rotations up there and had access to organic manures tended to have better seed beds and those soils tend to be more moisture retentive anyway and they tended to get on better.
0: Okay and Kieran, kind of going back then to, 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 to your part of the world um, Shay has mentioned organic manures and rotations, um, even though he had slightly higher yields, was there any, uh, was that kind of coming through, I suppose, in the south in terms of guys who maybe had more organic manures and soils or maybe had a better rotation, Are they were they getting on better?
1: Not even exclusive to this year, Michael. I know that when we record deals after the harvest every year, it's, it's a common feature at this stage. You can clearly see areas, you know, or farmers that use organic manures you know soils with good organic matters tend always to have the higher yields you know and obviously as she said you kind of tend to recognize it a bit more when there's uh, an adverse weather like like a drought you know um so certainly the, you know there's plenty of evidence of, of organic manures there uh in terms of the drought um while crops did get a little pinch but I Most of the growers down south um, wouldn't have had the, felt the effects of, of, of the drought the same as um, maybe the Midlands and, and, and further up would really. But I suppose really it was the, and I spoke earlier on about the potential that was in crops and some earlier harvested crops did yield very, very well. But unfortunately, we had two storms in August and that was a big downer for people really. We had storm Ellen, first of all, um, you know, that was a red wind warning and... The amount of ear losses, particularly in, in winter wheat and, and, and shedding, was phenomenal. I, I did some counts on one particular field, there was there was ear, ear losses of up to 200 ears per square meter on the ground when, when you'd measured them, you know. Um, and if you kind of work that out, that, that equated to a ton and a quarter per hectare alone on, 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 on ear loss. And then you obviously had the, the shedding aspect there as well, you know. Um, And then on the 25th of August, a few days later, we we had storm Francis. Now, that was mainly rain. And I think really, storm Francis was the one actually that had the biggest impact on spring barley. Um, You know, crops were broken down after that. And there was very little spring barley actually harvested before storm Francis. Like she was saying, with the with the poor broken weather, you know. So I suppose those two storms really had had a big impact on on the overall yields, with you know substantially losses up to and maybe more in cases of a half ton in in, in a lot of crops of spring barley, like.
0: And Kieran, just on on that, was it a country or was it was it county wide? Was it all of the south or was it just? More localized, do you think? No,
1: it, it it probably was a bit localized. Uh, certainly, Cork um, would have been the worst affected. Um, um, less so then maybe as you got into Waterford and the surrounding counties, Tipperary, South Tipperary. But once you got up to kind of North Tipperary, um, out of South Wexford, certainly the, the the effect was or the impact was 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 much reduced really. So certainly, uh, typically, I suppose Cork County
0: would probably have had the borne the brunt of it really. So, Shay, um, just coming back to you there for a second. Um, most other years, we'd probably be talking about disease control quite a lot all the way through the season. And, you know, we spend, uh, farmers spend a lot of money on on disease control. What way did that shake out or work out this year uh, in your, uh, across the Midlands and North?
2: Well, I suppose, Michael, the, the truth of it is that disease levels were actually quite low for most of the season for that drought period, if you take April and May and into June. We and we had less than 20 millimeters of rain in lots of those areas that you're talking about, the Midlands and Northeast. So disease disease levels were particularly low in in most in all cereal crops. Um, so from that point of view, I mean the the pressure wasn't there. So there was opportunities for guys to make savings there in certain circumstances. Um, you know, just because the because the low the pressure was low. So. Um, certainly there were guys who maybe reduced rates a little bit or they might have even skipped an application in one or two cases. And again, it came down to, in some cases, especially with spring barley, whether you could actually justify putting uh, a final fungicide, for example, on the crop because the crop was so stressed at the time. So um, really, I suppose, disease control wasn't a big topic for guys this year. Okay, and obviously it's slightly different, I suppose. The further south you go, um, Karen, yeah, yeah, there's
1: more rainfall. Yeah, definitely, Michael. I I wouldn't call it a high disease pressure year, but there certainly was plenty evidence of disease. Um, I, t- I suppose if we take winter wheat, we certainly did see plenty of septoria, and again, you know, timings were were crucial. I suppose in wheat, uh, we saw yellow rust this year, uh, particularly quite early. Obviously, in the likes of Bennington. Uh, it's not something that's very common down south, so I suppose it gives you an idea of the extent of the, or how big a problem yellow rust is, is starting to become. Um, the barley was interesting, as Shay said, and a similar story down south. Disease pressure overall was quite low. We were worried about ramularia. Obviously, the fact that that Bravo wouldn't be available for the final sprays that didn't turn out to be a big issue this year. In fairness, um, and I suppose the only other one that that we would have seen a, a share disease in beans. Um certainly, chocolate spots started to come into beans there in 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 June and July, and again, I suppose look that was just a symptom of the the kind of wetter weather that was that was happening around that time you know
0: and Kieran, down south, obviously there was more disease and and, and disease is evolving uh Do we learn anything or can we bring anything from two thousand and twenty into twenty twenty one um I suppose you know most people
1: uh from a barley side, I suppose you know. Um, Rommelaria, as I said earlier on, would, would have been the main threat there. It remains to be seen, we know from our research, that the loss of chlorotalin will be a big issue. Um, and I suppose that is a worry going forward, even though we didn't see a lot of evidence of it in 2020. I suppose from the Septoria perspective, we do have new chemistry um you know we have lost bravo but uh, the multi-site falpit will be available for next season i suppose from looking at trials and looking at crops this year i in my own opinion is that we're going to be spending more to stand still you know and i think that's that is a big worry and i suppose as we go forward integrated pest management particularly the the variety disease scores are go- just going to play
0: a bigger bigger uh, part for all farmers okay sure maybe maybe it's the, it's the thing to to differentiate or to get more crops onto your farm, so maybe the likes of beans, and I certainly I know we've been trying to encourage uh, farmers, and as much as the industry, have been trying to encourage farmers to grow more beans over the last um, four or five years. Um, however, I suppose not everybody, not all farmers, are convinced of it. But how did it perform, Kieran? Maybe first down in from your from your point of view down in down south in two thousand and twenty.
1: Beans, yeah, I suppose, look to start off with a record area of beans for a start, 12,600 hectares nationally, you know. Um, And nationally, the overall average yield in our Chagas Harvest Report was estimated to be 4.7 tonnes per hectare. So that's slightly below the 10-year average of of Uh, 5.45, you know. So beans were quite variable uh, down south. Uh, Again, in common with other crops, uh, maybe flattered to deceive maybe in some ways they did look quite good in the early part of the growing season they got in a good time you know a lot of them were sown sown in March but I suppose disappointed a little bit and that sort of less than 2 tonnes per acre seemed to be the, the average yield Um anecdotally the earlier sown ones did do a little bit better so whether they were sown in 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 the autumn through the winter or the early part of the spring certainly the better yields that we saw down south this year came from those those earlier sown crops you know um so going forward i think you know a lot of farmers are looking at beans they can see the rotational benefits and i suppose a challenge that everybody has now is controlling grass weeds and they are an ideal break crop there in terms of you know you can use different chemistry you know you have the whole ipm measures of spring sowing and that. So they are you know i i think there will be a lot of interest in them uh for 2021 if you look at the price of soy at the moment uh the price of of, of proteins in general it's quite high so you'd hope that the price prospects should be quite good and i suppose finally the department have confirmed that the protein payment will be available for for 2021 as well so again that's 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 a useful benefit there you know
0: okay and um Shea, when you talk about grass weeds or Kieran was talking about grass weeds there, and um, certainly we've seen more grass weed pressure in 2021 despite some late very late zone there's still an awful lot more of the likes of black grass around what was the situation you've seen
2: on the ground or do you, has it changed a lot maybe in the last two or three years yeah i suppose if you take black grass in particular michael which is which is the one that's kind of worrying a lot of people at the moment i know we've we've other problems with sterile brome and wild oats but if we take black grass as the as the signature weed that we're all kind of afraid of. Certainly there's been more reporting of it in the last 12 months. Um, and I know Jimmy Staples on the ECT programme certainly now has identified blackgrass in practically all the major tillage counties in the country, which is a worrying trend, really, when you think about it. Now, we don't know whether it was always there. Uh, and it's, 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 it's just only being highlighted now or whether it's actually spreading into those counties. I suspect it probably was always there. And people are more aware of it now and are reporting it more. Um, but I suppose what, what is worrying from the point of view um, of black grass is that, you know, it's, it's, it's a weed that if we let it in at all, it can create havoc in, in, in an area. Uh, and given the fact now that we have large tillage companies or tillage farms who are traveling vast areas across the country, not just from county to county, but in some cases from different province to province, and if you have blackgrass seeds travelling in balers or combines or whatever it is, the potential of spreading blackgrass across the country is 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 very high and very scary, to be honest. Um, and the impact on the tillage, tillage farms across the country could be could be very significant.
0: I suppose what you can see from Ireland to the UK, if we compare the uh, herbicide control or weed control costs or the herbicide spend, if you like. On farm um, guys in the UK are probably spending three times what we're spending here in Ireland, and getting still getting relatively poor control with blackgrass being the the major weed to, to to kind of get out. So it's a it, it's it's a massive
2: cost. Absolutely, Michael, and I suppose the point that or the the key learning that we have from the UK is that using herbicides alone is not going to solve the problem. That it has to take a fully integrated pest management uh, control approach, including all your Cult, um, your cultural methods, including cleaning machinery, not re- letting seed return to the soil, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and herbicides are only part of that solution, not the solution.
0: Just to focus on this, uh, just just for a second, Karen, you have a, a, a couple of farms down south who were particularly affected by um, blackgrass. What's the, I suppose, the start off advice for those farms, where where blackgrass is a major problem on the farm?
1: Um, To be honest with you, it has to be zero tolerance policy. I mean, as Shay said, it just says that 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 weed has uh, obviously the ability to reproduce very quickly, spread from farm to farm, field to field. So it, it really should be zero tolerance. You know, I've been involved with a few growers at this stage that that have had black grass and certainly the farmers that have been very proactive in managing it have been successful and you know that's the switch to spring cropping you know if it's bad you got to go to grass for four or five years but at a minimum switch to spring cropping Crop rotation, uh, stale seedbeds—they have been, you know, the 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 um, the primary methods of, of of controlling it. And again, that zero tolerance—it's having done all of that, and then it's walking the fields and and roguing. And you know, I have a couple of examples of farmers who who have done that and have been quite successful in eliminating it from their farms. I suppose the difficulty is is where, you know, people stay with with uh with autumn sown crops you know that is where and you you just can't it gets to a level that you can't rogue it. and as, as Shay said we we know that we have a high level of resistance you know so it, the the solution isn't inside in the spray store so it's a very proactive approach really is the is is the only way we're going to keep it at at, at low levels i don't think we're
0: we're going to eliminate it but you know the priority is just to keep it at low levels really Certainly from both of you just listen to the to two of you, the um, very much the case that the solution isn't with herbicides. You are not going to control with herbicides. You need all the other bits and pieces out there. Um, I just want to move on just a little bit. Malt barley has been, you know, and, and continues to be a very important crop in the country um, and probably has become more so uh, certainly with the, uh, I suppose, the continue, continuing rise of distilleries out there and, the, and, and there's certainly an awful lot more demand for it. How did it perform this year, Shay, in, in your side of the world?
2: Yeah, so, Michael, the, the Malt and Barley um, probably performed slightly better than I would have expected if you'd asked me in, the, uh, in early July. And yields were were a little bit higher than what I would have expected for the most part. Now, that said, there were some disasters around the place. Um, but for the most part, I think guys would have been happy how it yielded. That said, um, there would have been relatively high rejection rates uh, based on protein levels in in most crops so few few farmers would say would have filled their contracts from that point of view that the protein levels were just too high um, and that's probably down to combination effects um basically the, the yield not diluting the amount of nitrogen that was put out on crops um earlier on in the season and just being more concentrated and higher levels of protein in the in the, in the grains consequently um, the early part of the harvest, if you like, that first part of the harvest was probably slightly better. There was by the sounds of it, there was probably more re- rejection rates in the, late, the later that the, the harvest went on uh, and germination started to become a problem then towards the end of the end of the harvest as well. so while the early sown stuff early harvested stuff performed reasonably okay, the later the later um, harvested uh, crop was probably more problematic.
0: Okay. And was it something similar, um, Kieran, down south in terms of rejection rates and early versus late harvesting and that kind of thing? Yeah, pro- probably
1: farmers got on slightly better. Uh, I don't think there were any great issues with protein, but I think the yields were probably slightly higher down south anyway. Um the green grains was definitely a factor in the early part of the harvest but uh, i suppose we learn lessons from every year and certainly given time a lot of those 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 plants actually matured and those green grains didn't cause a massive problem in the end but i suppose what kind of finished the all barley at the towards the end of the harvest was the two storms and kph obviously took a hit and most of the rejections towards the latter end of the harvest would have been as a result of of low KPH. So I would say satisfactory overall. I think most growers got in a reasonably good proportion of their malting contract. Protein's okay. Uh, some green grain issues at the start, but KPH low at the end.
0: Okay. And guys, maybe just a, a quick word around the straw. I mean, straw is obviously a very big um, proportion of the income on tillage farms, Um, it seemed to get off to a slow start, but how did it kind of end up? Shay, maybe maybe you
2: want to comment first? Um, Yeah, Michael, I suppose you're right, it was a very, very slow start, and despite the fact that yields were, in some cases, 50% lower than normal, uh, there didn't seem to be huge demand, Um, and I think that continued all the way through the winter barley harvest, uh, through winter oats, uh, and into the spring barley, and the early spring barley harvest but well, I think that break in the harvest in mid-August kind of concentrated the mind a little bit and a lot of, lot of buyers suddenly came into the market realizing that there may not be sufficient supplies if we don't get into the market. That said, I mean, it was very, very difficult to get quotes for for straw even, even at that stage, even towards the end of the harvest. And it's really only after the harvest that the, the prices start to settle or start to confirm prices. So while... It was a strange year from that point of view. While yields were low, demand seemed to be low as well, unlike two years ago where demand was really, really high and prices were really, really high. We didn't see that this year at all. Um, It seemed to be be a flat market um, uh, up, up until very late into the harvest.
0: And Kieran, is it all sold in your part of the world? It'd probably go quicker down with you. Is it is it sold and gone or or what way is? It um
1: a, a little bit like Shay's story really, sluggish is the word I would use, you know. Um there was no mad demand for straw during the harvest, uh share went into, into sheds as as it quite often does. Um, and it certainly did pick up a little bit after the harvest, but I wouldn't say there's any scarcity or a straw at the moment. Anyway, I suppose a lot of that will depend on on the spring, I suppose, and and how early or late the spring will be, I suppose.
0: Okay, and kind of moving on, then I suppose maybe after the harvest, um, it was probably a, a, it was a decent chance to get. Uh, the new crop in, if you like, or the 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 autumn plantings done. Um, Kieran, where did, has the acreage settled out in the south? Is it something similar to a normal year, if you like?
1: I would call it a normal year. Yeah, definitely. uh more more like a normal year. I suppose the end of September and the first half of October there was good opportunities. I think if you didn't get it in before the middle of October, the, the opportunities after that were scarce, you know, but I suppose people were bitten um, last year and people probably went fractionally earlier. So I think that helped. I know on a, on a national basis where we're kind of back to a more normal level of 125 or 6,000 hectares compared to 95 last year. So I think the big change there has come in, in winter wheat, which is up. 56 percent on on last year really so i think we're we're kind of heading into a a, a normal sort of a season in terms of the area of winter
0: cereals okay the big one shade that seemed to be a bit of a surprise to me um, I, I suppose given the poorish back end and the pressure that was on the um just at the end of harvest is is oilseed rape um seems to be in around the same area as as
2: maybe a normal year yeah, um, it it seems to be that way, Michael, from talking to the seed companies, seed sales certainly haven't taken much of a rise. Um, and that can be attributed, I would say, to the workload that, that guys had in that period towards the end of August into early September, whereby a lot of fields wouldn't normally have been cleared and would be ready for, for oil to drape. Guys were concentrating on getting the harvesting done, straw baled, um, and jobs like that done. And, you know, while they... The guys who have oilseed rape in rotation and are convinced of its value in the rotation, those guys probably got more or less anything that they want drilled done. But new guys who who had maybe planned on getting uh, oilseed drape into the rotation, in a lot of cases, those guys, uh, if they were certainly if they're coming in at something like spring barley or winter wheat, didn't really get an opportunity until mid mid September to get to get the crop in. So they're probably in a lot of cases, wise in my opinion. Um, decided not to take the jump into oil to rate this year, and and wait until you get a more suitable slot, possibly next year.
0: And um, from what I see around here, certainly, Karen, the fact that most crops that are planted are looking pretty good and doesn't seem to be too many holes or spots. Is it something similar down south?
1: It is really yeah uh, and again this slightly earlier planting helped and I think seedbed conditions in general were, were quite good. So no establishment has been I would say good overall. Some of the late ones obviously will, will be a little bit patchy but the maj- vast majority are, are are in good shape I suppose. The only thing that may be slightly concerning would be that because of the weather kind of broke there as I said from the second half of October on there has been very few opportunities to get out and get weed control done or even you know to get uh, insecticide on where, where that was needed so I don't know in, in the area I'm in I would say probably 50% of crops maybe maybe didn't get the, the weed control done yet but you know um, I suppose guys are happy to have it in the ground all the same.
0: Yes I know what you mean. Shay, just coming back maybe to potatoes and you deal with potatoes um, uh, on, on, on a weekly basis Um, Brexit is obviously in the news and there was plenty of stories about Brexit and its effect on potatoes, both seed and uh, imported for for the chip and trade. Um, Were farmers expecting that or was that something out of the blue and can they cope, I suppose, in 2021?
2: Um, I would say most farmers, Michael, most including farmers, certainly were aware uh, that there was potential issues there. a lot of the state of farms in the country do deal directly with seed companies who bring in seed from from outside of Ireland. So they would have been keenly aware of of that issue, and we would have um, um, our advisors would have made made them aware of it um, all during the year that maybe seed could be a potential issue if there's a no deal situation in in Brexit. So they certainly would have been aware of it, and to, to the best of my knowledge at the moment most of them have at this stage made some sort of arrangement to get seed in um, before the 31st of December this year so that the 2021 crop um, is safe, if, if you know what I mean, that they'll have the seed secured for those crops. In terms of, of the imports, then of, of where potatoes are processing crops, I mean, that's a little probably a bit more uncertain at this stage because um, while we don't know what, what level of tariffs, if any, are going to be on that crop, I mean, the, the supply chains that the importers have made for those or have developed for those um, those potatoes over the last numbers of years or decades, um, they're, they're finding it difficult to break into them in, in, in many circumstances. So they're a little bit resistant, resistant, should I say, to maybe make big changes to their planting plans and their variety choices into 2021 to try and maybe... Um, maybe take advantage of some of those opportunities it's a little bit risky yet i would say for a lot of them to make that jump
0: i suppose at least you're thinking hard about it and, and and planning around it and i suppose thinking about that um from 2020 the other thing that struck me was the fact that the you know the planning for um the new cap i suppose and uh, underpinning that is going to be the green deal and firm to fork and it looks like there's a Policy has, has continued to shift, I suppose, and um, evolve. We always knew that the EU wanted more fertilizers and um, plant protection products to be used, if you like, and we're and, and certainly uh, more uh, aware of the organic um, movement, if you like. So, all of that is happening out there, Karen. Where do you think the big challenge lies in 2021 for growers? I I suppose the the big ones will be the reduction in fertilisers and the reduction
1: on plant protection products. You know, from a tillage perspective, you know, we we can grow the highest yields in in the world. But the factors that allow us to do that also mean that we we have a high input regime. You know, we we have a maritime climate, we get plenty of moisture, drought. I know we had a bit of drought this year in 2018, but that's not normally the, the problem. Um, and, you know, plant protection products are, are very important for us to realize those those yields, you know, so there is no doubt there's a challenge. Um, I suppose we, we, we have been softened up in, in recent years in the, ten, in the sense that, that we have lost some, you know, of our, our, our common products. And I suppose we, we are adapting. Um, and But I think integrated pest management will have a huge role um, going forward. I mean, we certainly will have more emphasis on, on varietal disease characteristics and certainly in terms of you know, um, um, forecasting of 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 pests and diseases. We have examples like the the suction towers for 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 monitoring aphid flight and that. So, all of those things are going to be increasingly important if we're if we're to hit those targets. Um, on plant protection products On fertilizer. You know, a twenty percent reduction. I think um, there probably is some scope, but again, it will be challenging. I think the use of organic manures and I suppose the other one is the focus. Uh, uh, that we're seeing in EU policy in terms of of, of indigenous proteins like peas and beans, I think that will certainly help on on both ends of that. Particularly in terms of fertilizer, you know, if you if you've got beans in the rotation, you've got you've got one season with with no nitrogen, and then you have reduced fertilizer requirement for the succeeding crop. So I think you know that emphasis on proteins certainly will will also help us meet some of those challenges. But uh, but overall, we, we we certainly have a lot of work to do. Together. Get there.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big challenge coming down the road, and I think farmers are going to be very uh, conscious about our messages, uh, lads, in in the next uh, long number of years. I think that integrated pest management, whether it be in uh, disease control, whether it be in grass weed control, as we mentioned earlier, or pest control, as you mentioned there as well, um, Karen, uh, there, there's going to have to be, I suppose, a lot more of. Farmers thinking about what they're doing. Um, from both ends, either they don't have the chemistry. Um, on one side of it, or um, there's a serious need to protect and hold on to what we, the tools that we do have. So, um, yep, that's certainly messages coming down along the line. Gentlemen, I just really want to thank you for your time. I think it's been a great um, whistle stop tour, if you like, through 2020 and a, and a bit of a glance into 2021. So, um, we we leave it there, and thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. That's it for the Tillage Edge for 2020, and we'll be back again in early 2021. I want to wish you and your family a very safe and happy Christmas and New Year from all here in Chagas. I'm Michael Hennessy. Join me again in the New Year for more Tillage news and advice.